0: Welcome to Communicationology.
1: This is a podcast where two friends who met in a communication PhD program apply their love for communication and studying communication research
0: and theories. We love theories.
1: <laughs> to their everyday lives.
0: So in this week's episode, we are going to answer the question, once and for all are introverts or extroverts better communicators um, and we're we're covering this we're very excited to cover this because we both love the myers-briggs um, love it, <laughs> love it. <laughs> but i think if you ask the majority of people who they assumed is a better communicator they would probably say Extroverts, just because we kind of see extroverts as outgoing, and, um, j- and but that's also kind of a misconception um, because there are many aspects that make someone a great com- communicator and not just someone who's confident and 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 all of those types of things, a lot, many more
1: actually. Yeah, I think actually when. I think of the stereotypical extrovert, I just think of a people person who lights up the room, life of the party, everyone's best friend, whereas I feel like the stereotypical introvert is almost like a recluse, a socially awkward, antisocial person who really can't get along with others and is kind of a nerd. But I think luckily, when you dive into the research and look at real people who are introverts and extroverts, there's a lot more to it.
0: Yeah, Um, so that's what we're gonna look at today, specifically that. We're gonna explain the Myers-Briggs, the differences between introverts and extroverts based on the research and not just perception. Um, And then we're gonna look at some of the most important areas in communication, um, such as listening, speaking, how how someone works in a group, their perception, um, nonverbal communication, and we're gonna kind of weigh who tends to be stronger in that
1: particular area. In the end, we're gonna tally our scores and answer the all important question, who has better communication skills, introverts or extroverts? This
0: is so fun. Um, and this is such a great one. It's so, for, so Katie and I, uh, during one of our first conversations, we discovered that we have almost the exact same Myers-Briggs score with exactly one difference. And that is, I'm an extrovert and she is an introvert.
1: (laughs) And it's weird because I actually always thought that I was an extrovert. But then when I started teaching Myers-Briggs personality type um, indicators, I realized I am a total introvert who's conditioned myself to be an extrovert because that's kind of what the world rewards. And I think part of my sort of people-pleasing personality was being a chameleon like that. But learning more about what an introvert is helped me understand myself so much better. Yeah. And liberated me.
0: Oh, I love Myers-Briggs. This is so fun. I'm so glad we're doing this this week. Me too.
1: Me too. (laughs) I love it.
0: So let's get started by just looking at overall, what is the Myers-Briggs in case we have listeners who are going, I don't even know what that is. And, and hopefully we can, we can entice them to go take the Myers-Briggs test and just fall in love with it as much as we did.
1: Oh, for sure. I love the Myers-Briggs instrument, but I love the story of how it started almost just as much because it's the story of two strong women and a mother-daughter duo who were just keen observers of human behavior and sort of sideline scholars. You know, they weren't in PhD programs or anything like that. They just had bachelor's degrees, but they loved watching people and making observations and noticing what makes different people um, tick. And they created an instrument that's helped millions of people navigate toward a better life from it. But it all started, I think that Catherine um, Cook was originally born in 1875 in Michigan, and she was a faculty child with her dad teaching at the University of Michigan. So she married um An intellectual guy named Lyndon Briggs and they moved to DC where he was a physicist and they had one daughter Isabel and Catherine homeschooled Isabel and she started noticing in playgroups and things like this that different kids naturally had different personalities and different tendencies and so she started kind of doing this typology thing. And then when Catherine got married to this guy named Chief, she noticed that Chief was really different than all the other people in her family. And so she started reading biographies and kind of typecasting different people into different categories. And then she came across Carl Jung's book on personality and she shared that with her daughter, Catherine, and they just went nuts. For the next 20 years, they started classifying everybody based on four categories. Um, Are they introverted? Are they extroverted? Are they intuitive? Or are they sensing? Are they thinking? Or are they feeling? Are they judging? Or are they perceiving? And they developed the tool originally during World War II, because they needed to quickly fill jobs, you know, from soldiers who were going to fight the wars overseas with women who hadn't been in the workforce, they needed to figure out which personality could do which job quickly. But of course, it's been used for much more than that. Now it's used for Um, helping people figure out what kind of work they should do or what kind of role they play in relationships, or even there's one about where you should live based on your personality type. So I think it's super fun. And I love that um, Isabel Meyer's whole goal was to work on something that helps others. And certainly she's done that with this tool. I love
0: it. I love that they were weird researchers like us who just yes. want to learn more and, and
1: know everything, and I can appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> and they just let their curiosity guide them, which I love.
0: Today, we're going to specifically look at the E versus I. That's that first letter of, of the Myers-Briggs, which is the, the differences between introverts and extroverts, which kind of get a bad rap, <laughs> you know, because we hear introverts, and we, and, you know, as we said, we think socially awkward, uh, but let's talk about specifically what they are um in fact we could do a whole episode on every one of these and maybe maybe that that's a long-term goal Um, but so let's start with that okay okay so one of the the key components one of the things that's just kind of at the core is number one is how they energize um so extroverts are kind of energized from being around people Right? So like being in, in groups and that, that energy spending nervous system, they want to be around others and that's how they recharge, right? They can leave that and go, okay, now I feel like I can take on the world, right? Like if they're feeling down, being around people is going to lift them up. That's not entirely true for introverts. Katie, (laughs) proceed.
1: I think that while extroverts kind of feed off the hype and their brains run on energy spending, um, introverts can sometimes be overstimulated and drained by hype and their brains run more on an energy conserving nervous system. So as an introvert, um, it's not that I don't like being around people. Actually, I love being around people. And if I were by myself all the time, I would be, you know, sad and depressed, but after long extended periods of time with people, or after you know, huge expenditures of energy with lots of people. Uh, Introvert needs to recharge by having some solitude and some time to reflect and kind of, I don't know, go back in the inner world and kind of touch base with yourself. Otherwise you start going crazy and just feeling resentful. And that is when you become socially awkward and <laughs> and uh, meet yeah, that stereotypical thing.
0: So funny that you say that because I feel that kind of disconnect when I'm not around people for a long period of time
1: yeah you know? yeah you just start to feel like you don't know who you are anymore yes yeah when I was a
0: stay-at-home mom when my son was really young that was really hard for me and I had to get out and do play groups and mom's groups because I I couldn't handle that that solitude my my brain didn't work that way I needed to to have that energy from other people
1: and I would say I loved that time in my life because I would just like hold my babies and nurse them and read book after book after book. And in Hawaii, which is where I had babies, they have a baby hooey. So it meets once a week and it changes whose house it's at. And I love my baby hui, But one thing I loved about it is that I always knew it had a certain time that it would be over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I knew, okay, it's three hours and then I'm done and I'll see you next week. And that really worked well for me.
0: It was funny, I did an exercise in one of my classes where we we did this activity where um, I had students break up by their Myers Briggs score and we and I had them plan the perfect party and cause because we kind of talked about like how people could communicate differently and adapt their communication style to people who communicate differently than they uh-huh. do. And it was funny because my extroverts are like, yeah, our party would go all night. And oh then- God. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my introverts are like, it would be at somebody else's house so I could go for an hour and leave.
1: <laughs> for sure. For sure. It's better when it's on someone else's turf so you can say when you're done. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think another difference besides just how they energize is how they process information.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, So, Dr. Marty Olson Laney, I think we're going to mention her work a couple of times. She talks about how introverts and extroverts um, are really kind of influenced by the role of dopamine and, okay, I'm going to say this wrong, acetylchlorine, acetylchlorine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I got it. Um, Which kind of impact decision making and behavior. So, um, extroverts are actually less sensitive to dopamine. So, it means they need more of it to feel happy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where introverts are more sensitive to it and need less of it to feel happy. And so it can almost make them feel anxious.
1: Overwhelmed. Much Absolutely. of it. Yeah. Um, and then and exhausted. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Right. Which, whereas we kind of love that rush, <laughs> right? right. More and more. Um, and so as a result, extroverts are kind of more impulsive and thrill-seeking. You would never call me impulsive, right, Katie?
1: Never. <laughs> For example, you were like, let's do a podcast. And I was like, let's read a book about it first. <laughs>
0: yes. <I am> <laughs> <laughs> she's like let's have a drawn out plan and i'm like let's just do it and we'll make mistakes as we go and it'll be fine
1: and right and you said an outline with topics and then i filled it in with a script <laughs> right that's
0: exactly <laughs> yes it's an extra yes exactly um there's also another study that kind of talks speaks to the same thing holmes lee and there were about seven more authors which they're all very important and we'll link to it so that they are not overlooked. Um, but they talked about how introverts actually have thicker gray matter in their brain, right? So there's actually this very scientific component to this, which means they tend to process things in a more abstract way where extroverts kind of process as they go. Um, and also that because of that, extroverts are more driven by rewards, which, you know, we tend to think of rewards as, like, that they necessarily, you know, we, we would think of that as, like, actual awards or recognition. That's not necessarily true. It's whatever intrinsically looks like a reward to them. Maybe that's better friendships or maybe that's... Um, you know, career type things, but that they're more reward driven. And so therefore those types of things kind of go into how they, they sort of process information that they, um, that that's kind of their focus,
1: if that makes sense. Totally. I think that introverts are slower processors um, and extroverts can process things on the spot, like you said. So an example of that is I'm on the school board, and we have uh, an event coming up where we have to hear both sides of a story and then make a decision, like a jury. And there's a report that will be shared at the meeting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can hear a report at the meeting and decide within that same meeting. So I had to send an email that says, please can you send it to me ahead of time so that I can process it, compare it to other hearings we've had, look up the policies that correlate. You know, I just have this more universal way of processing things that involves knowing as much information as possible before just saying i think this or i think that right and saying i think this or i think that gives me huge anxiety
0: (laughs) but it's interesting because extroverts actually process almost externally you know so Talking it faced, through, yes. Yeah, absolutely. so if I'm faced with a difficult decision, I will call a friend and, and kind of chat through it out, out loud and, you know, kind of bounce the, you know, and so as I'm saying it, or even writing, I, I'm, I do a lot of writing, and I've noticed that as those words are coming out, that's where I'm processing it and making my decisions and seeing, you know, that's when it becomes more clear to me.
1: I think introverts process through writing as well. I know I do. So yeah. yeah. That's a similarity. Yeah. Yeah okay so i have a little list of extrovert traits introvert traits and it says extroverts love being with people talkative when stimulated feed off the hype around them think out loud and likes to try new things yep that's about right <laughs> Does that sound like you <laughs> yeah
0: what all right what do you think pretty pretty close
1: yeah i think that's you yeah okay and then yeah. it says introverts okay. <laughs> need a break from time to time absolutely me. Happy to listen to observe. Yes. Gets discouraged easily for sure. Weary of others opinions. Yes. Requires advanced notice to prepare a hundred percent. That part about weary of others opinions. I have noticed that sometimes people think that introverts are like sneaky or underhanded because they don't share things openly. And the reason you don't share things openly is because when other people say your dissertation advisor or something like that, when they are a hundred percent on board with you, it's like, you don't know how to invite them into your head and explain what you're thinking.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense.
1: So it's not purposeful or sneaky. It's just, that's how you're processing things.
0: Yeah. And I think of how I, I really like feedback both positive and negative. And if someone's gonna give me feedback, positive or negative, I wanna chat with them and say, why do you think this and where do you see this? So that I can kind of improve,
1: but I'm doing that
0: outwardly as opposed to kind of internalizing that and kind of self-reflecting, which is probably something I could do better, but... um, Yeah, yeah. but it's
1: interesting because other people who are introverts, I'm thinking of people in our PhD program would get their papers back including me sometimes. And we wouldn't even read the feedback because it was like, this is just going to be too soul crushing. I already got the grade. I don't really want to know, you know? So it's really yeah. interesting how you orient towards other yeah. um, influences and opinions.
0: Yep. Well, so now that we've kind of given you this brief overview, and I, I promise there's a lot more depth, <laughs> but, right. but we'll get into more of that. Um, I want to look at this idea of, okay, what makes a good communicator so if we're going to try to decide who has stronger communication skills we really need some criteria for it and so i'm going to go to one of our favorites julia wood yes we love her (laughs) um she's a communication scholar and um who's who's done a lot of work with interpersonal communication and uh, a lot. She's done so much. I could give you a I'd spend a whole podcast just listing her work, but um, she gives us six essential areas for, for communication, and so we're going to kind of break these down one by one and and look at how um, extroverts do this and how introverts do this and see kind of kind of how that falls. So the six areas we're going to look at are first of all perceiving and understanding others. Um, second, we're going to look at verbal communication, then nonverbal communication, which is also a really important aspect of communication that is sometimes overlooked. Uh, we're going to look at listening and responding. And um, also then the last two we're going to look at um, are su- creating and sustaining communication climates, which we'll, we'll explain in more detail what that means. That sounds very calm, wordy, and technical, and I promise it's not. But um, then we're also going to look at adapting communication to cultural contexts. So let's start one by one and see who gets the, the nod as the better communicator. Okay.
1: All right, let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. First, let's look at perceiving and understanding. So like we talked about, um, introverts perceive on sort of a slower, longer neural pathway because they're looking at long-term memory. They're looking at planning. They're kind of pulling up all of the other instances where something similar to this occurred and processing things very universally so it's more careful and slow so for example when i walk into a situation rather than jumping right in i'll first observe the situation before diving in and if there's anything i can do to become familiar with the situation before i get there i will so like if i'm going to a restaurant i've looked up the menu ahead of time i've read the yelp reviews like i know the vibe Um, And because I'm processing everything there, when I'm there, the looks on people's faces, the temperature, the time of day, the feeling in the room and connecting all of that to what I know before, I think that's maybe why for introverts, such situations can be draining. So for example, last weekend, we went out um, on our boat with a bunch of friends. And as it's supposed to be on a boat, the music is loud, there's nine people, we're out there for multiple hours. And I'm thinking in my head, oh my gosh, I just want to turn down the music because I'm like in a deeper conversation with this one person. But while I'm having this conversation with this person, I'm noticing that person looks kind of hungry. I think that person wants to turn into water ski. That person looks like they're having fun. That person looks like they're left out right now. So I'm like taking in all nine people's cues and processing how the whole thing is going while my husband is like, Loud music, making food, handing out drinks, and he's thriving on all this energy. But my best moments that day were when I took a turn surfing and I was like by myself. So that's so interesting that in a social situation, that brief moment by myself in the water with the music, not worrying about anyone else, that was like my freedom.
0: <laughs> that that makes sense. <laughs>
1: yeah. So that's how an inward processing mechanism works on a on an introvert. How do you process things as an extrovert, Brooke?
0: So I think it's easy to assume that extroverts aren't as good at perception um, because we tend to categorize them as like life of the party or even almost kind of self-focused that they're kind of impulsive and you know, just kind of say whatever comes out of their mouth, right? Um, but that's not entirely fair in this conversation because extroverts kind of gain their energy from people and, and so they're kind of more open and willing to share and process ideas as a group. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, the, and, and there's some benefits to that in, for instance, problem-solving situations. You know, when you have a crisis and you have someone who has to take a step back and study and understand everything before they can make a decision, that's not necessarily ideally the person who you want there. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think sometimes extroverts tend to take more of a bird's eye view of a situation before acting sometimes that can be really problematic. And sometimes that's really good, um, because sometimes you can kind of talk yourself out of something if you're if you're really kind of making, you, you're you a list maker, Katie. You're a list right. maker.
1: Right, right. A list <laughs> yeah. maker, a pro con, a way this, yeah. way that, for sure. I want to
0: come to, I
1: want to- And sometimes know. I think that can be paralyzing, that whole analysis paralysis thing. It's like, yeah. you got your dissertation done in a semester, maybe two but I've started mine three times with three different ideas because it's like, I don't know if that's, you know, it's just like really overthinking and overthinking can be a problem. Same thing on the boat. If I'm overthinking, are people hungry? Are they tired? Are they having fun? Then I'm not helping them have fun by being worried about them. So when I'm able to just like get over all of that internal angst and be more in the moment, then that's more fun for me too. So I think you have to have some degree of both in order to be, good at processing or, or knowing your weaknesses and knowing when to compensate for what in that arena
0: can i can i throw in some theory because you yeah. know i love theory all right so one of my favorite communication theories ever is um berger and calabrese's uncertainty reduction theory
1: i like knew you had, were gonna say that
0: <laughs> we had a party and everybody had to dress up as their favorite calm theory that would be mine which means i would have to like go uncomfortably hug people before i get to know them and that's fine i would do that <laughs> but uncertainty reduction theory essentially says this in any given situation we are looking for ways to reduce our uncertainty about the unknown right right so um we sort of collect information in our own in, and there's several different ways you can do that you can do that through um observing you can do that through um, disclosure, and that's part of why I like the theory because I love vulnerability and I love this idea of um, mutual and heightened disclosure as you get to know someone better. Um, because while I'm small talk may not be my favorite thing on the planet, um, I like that. But then I also, you know, want to find out everything about a person. You know, I just as soon right. start tell me about your childhood as I would how's your day been. You know, so um, <laughs> right. Berger and Calabrese basically said that we are. Um, constantly looking for ways to reduce our uncertainty about situations and people and things so I think the difference in how introverts and extroverts do that is really interesting because I feel like introverts are looking for all of the detail type things and I think extroverts almost look at more about the kind of bird's-eye how do I act in the situation type things if if I'm
1: reading that correctly what do you think Katie? Mm I think if you went as uncertainty reduction theory, you would have like a notebook and you'd be an investigator. Before oh, yeah. you hugged people. Because I that's how I think as an introvert of uncertainty reduction. And like I gather all the clues.
0: And so that's kind of funny how we would do that differently. I would totally
1: to hug
0: them and ask them about their childhood.
1: Right. <laughs> right. And I'd yeah. be like watching how they act with other people and like making inferences about their childhood before I'd ever approach that subject.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> not throw our dresses your favorite com theory party. That's, that's so
1: that. I think it would be so fun. It'd be <laughs> so fun because a huge part of it is how your personality interprets the different theories. Yeah, no, that's very true. Right, right. And I think it's important to say, too, that even though, even though the boat, for example, I'm you know, processing all this and enjoy the time surfing. I still did enjoy the boat time with the friends. I I don't think being an introvert means you don't like being around people. Right. So I think that's important to note. So on that note, let's go on to verbal communication.
0: Yay. Verbal communication. Um, Appropriate that I am going to talk about this one. (laughs) Great. Um, It's an interesting one because extroverts do love to talk. We process out loud. Um, but a key component in being a good verbal communicator is not only being willing to talk, um, but it's also about knowing the right thing to say, the right times to say it, and looking at the context. Um, but also feeling empowered to do so, and those are all an, a really important part of this effective verbal communication. Um, and so, you know, we we say introverts don't necessarily think well on their feet. Um, necessarily, they like to step back and process before, verbally, b- before verbalizing. Um, and this is something I kind of changed how I approached um, teaching in the last couple of years. I'm, I'm sure, having listened to this podcast for now 10 minutes, you, you probably know I'm pretty high energy, um, you know, lots of conversation, loud, messy, and, th- and my classes really look kind of the same way.
1: And uh, amazing, I want to say.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. But. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to
1: be in your class.
0: So I had a student come to me after my first year of teaching, and um, he was a really good student, but he said to me that he kind of struggled to participate in my classes, even though he really enjoyed the material. But as an introvert, he really kind of struggled to to be part of the conversation because his brain didn't work that way. Um, and so after my initial like academic insecurity thing happened, where are we go, but I do a good job, you know, okay, all right, that passed, <laughs> uh, so I decided to investigate what um, that that classroom situation looks like for introverts, and I read Susan Cain's Quiet, which I highly recommend, it's amazing, um, I'll link to it in the show notes, um, it and it's so good, it's so good, and um, also
1: a really good TED Talk, if you don't have time to read a book,
0: oh, we should, we'll link to the TED Talk, too, okay, um, but After I read that and really understood about how introverts kind of process things um, and how they need time to to think about it, I changed quite a few things in my course to make sure I wasn't leaving my introverted students behind. So instead of just asking questions out loud I would have students journal some ideas before in a very writing-to-learn sort of way which I'm a huge advocate of you know when you're writing to meet criteria or you know to, to match a rubric sometimes we don't feel as competent in our critical thinking and to wrestle with hard ideas and so when you're writing to learn you're not worried that you put the comma in the wrong place you're you're kind of writing um, and thinking critically and, and it tends to be um, kind of get those ideas rolling in your head. Mm -hmm. So I I had them do that. Um, I utilized a lot more small group discussion before we would kind of come to the big group. So I wasn't just calling on students. And I I also stopped doing that entirely, randomly calling on students in the middle of class. Um, Because I realized that for some of my students, that just wasn't going to work. And so my introverted students were kind of being left out of those discussions. And I really can kind of see... The positive in my classroom and you know some of these response journals I've had students process really hard ideas like I had um, I use Monica Lewinsky's TED talk in my class when we talk about um, online you know proper ways to use online and ethics and she talks about being bullied after the the scandal and um, I had so many students who when they respond to that will share experiences of being bullied. And I think that's really interesting that they feel safe to do that there. And then these same students who probably wouldn't speak up in class, uh, you know, if, if I just showed them this TED talk, when we have the large group discussion are really vulnerable and open about their experiences in the large group. And I think that's fantastic.
1: That is fantastic. I think that's because as an introvert, I like to process ideas and plan out what I'm going to say. So mm-hmm. Before I get to a meeting or before I get to a class, I love it if the person has shared the TED Talk ahead of time or shared the literature or shared not just the agenda of the, of the meeting, but also, you know, all the documents that correlate with each agenda item so that I can find outside sources, reflect on the material, make connections to what I already know, and come to the discussion prepared. And a lot of times on my way to said meeting or said class, I'll rehearse what I'm going to say. Yeah. Do you yeah. do that ever?
0: Probably not as much. <laughs> right. And you know, it's funny because I, I am a planner, even though I am, I'm an extrovert, but the number of times I'll have this, 11, you know, I have my lessons planned out until December for all of the courses that I'm teaching this fall. But I will hear something on the radio on the way to class or I will, there will be some current event that happens as I'm, I'm, you know, going, or I will overhear a conversation that students are having about something and I'll go, actually, I have this great idea and just go off a completely different direction (laughs) Uh on the, on the spur of the moment. And so, um, you know, so I I do, I'm not, I don't want to say that extroverts don't plan, but I, I often find that my moments where
1: I'm more fluid
0: out loud, Are my better moments. So that's good. Awesome. Let's talk about phone calls because I know this one is one that you have many feelings about.
1: I do not like talking on the phone at all. (laughs) I I oftentimes won't even answer my phone. I much prefer a text. I feel like a lot of times when people call you, they call you to request something, Mm -hmm. and. I feel like my knee jerk reaction just to get off the phone is sure. Okay. I'll do it. And then I end up regretting what I committed to. But if I have time to process the request, check my calendar and make sure I can do it so, so much better. How about you? Do you like phone calls?
0: You know, it's funny. I'm not much of a phone call person as an extrovert, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's normal, but, but then I think of, um, I think it's because I'm not a huge fan of small talk, but for you and I to have a phone call and to have a deep, meaningful conversation, that would be refreshing and reach, you know, I would recharge from that, but that kind of five minute burst of small talk. And you know, how are things going? Oh, things are good. You know, I hate that. I'm not a big fan of that. So I, in that sense, I would prefer texting as well. Uh, in fact, Katie and I have an unspoken agreement that if, if we see the phone ring, um, from the other person to answer it because it's probably a crisis because we're <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: totally text in all situations unless it's an absolute emergency. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs>
0: so I see the phone ringing and I'm like, all right, I'm going to bail her out of jail probably. No, I'm just right,
1: like, I'm right, absolutely.
0: <laughs> what do you think about small talk?
1: Um. So along the lines of wanting to be prepared, this is so funny. When I am going to a party or going to meet someone for lunch, I will think of like conversation starters. Like I will think, okay, what's Brooke been up to? Oh yeah. She's been doing you know this and she went on this vacation and this was the subject of her dissertation and I'll think of questions and things to come with. So that small talk is actually deeper talk and more meaningful and thoughtful and, um, It's so funny because we were on our way to a family. I feel like it was Christmas with my extended family and I'm in the car with my brother and his wife. And I said, okay, let's think of some things to talk to people about, go person by person. And my sister-in-law was like, oh my God, your brother does the same thing. And so (laughs) it's just so funny because both of us have similar personalities and that's how we handle small talk situations. And so the upside of that is we're gonna have a good conversation and you're gonna walk away feeling like, oh, she knows me and she cares about me and I do. But the downside is, you know, that took a lot of energy and it can be taxing.
0: Yeah. I, well, I will be honest and say that um, I tend to deal with it the opposite way. Instead of coming up with these kind of conversation topics, I will ask really probing questions. (laughs) In fact, um, you know, I, a couple years ago I was dating someone and I felt like all of our conversations were surface level and I didn't like it. It was horrible for me because that's not how I function. And so um, we, we had talked about the, the questions that you ask if you want to get to know someone on a deeper level. These really like deep questions. And I literally printed them out and would just, we played a game where we would draw them and I would find out things. And it would be like, what's your worst childhood memory? didn't I send you those questions?
1: That's because I was thinking of you. That actually perfectly illustrates this. Like when I talk to you, it's because I'm like, okay, I've been thinking about Brooke. I've been thinking about her new relationship. I have an idea to share with her. So that perfectly illustrates this.
0: Yep. Yeah. Because I just couldn't handle. So your surface, I can't handle surface level conversation is you're going to predetermine the conversation. For me, I'm like, Let's not do service level conversations. Let's just dig into those muddy waters because for me, that's not scary to process out loud and to have that kind of deeper um let's let's talk about the hard stuff because that's right how I get my charge of kind of seeing people in a very authentic and vulnerable way and letting them get to know me in a very authentic and vulnerable way.
1: Well, I think that's introverted too. Like I think the introverted conversational prep is getting the you know getting those questions and wanting to have deeper deeper, more meaningful conversations, the, yeah, I don't, I don't know if either personality type necessarily enjoys the how's the weather conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know anybody who really likes small talk.
1: Yeah, so I did read one study that said, um, and this gave me so much peace because I feel like a lot of times when you get to a party or to social interaction, there's pressure to, to be interesting, but this study I read had people only ask questions and not really share anything about themselves. So they weren't interesting at all. They were just interested and mm-hmm. people walked away thinking, Oh, I really like that person. So a likable quality that makes you seem interesting to others is just by being interested in them. So asking probing questions is one way to demonstrate that. I think
0: that's good. I always just assume that made people uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> I don't it, know. It might. Okay. It might.
0: So, Let's talk about, as we, you know, the other part of verbal communication is we talk about public speaking. I want to dispel the rumor that extroverts would necessarily be public speakers, better public speakers. I don't think that's true, and I say that as an extrovert who actually likes public speaking. Um, But I found in my classroom, that's not entirely true. I found there is really no lean one way or the other of who's stronger And if anything, my extroverts tend to do a little bit worse on speeches um, because they typically prepare less because they sort of assume they can sort of present on the fly. But when I have students side by side who both prepared um, and and put time into developing a speech and practiced it, I, I think it's about equal.
1: I've also noticed that in teaching public speaking classes that extroverts do well, I think, because they get up and they're charismatic and they're confident. And so that sort of nervous energy that makes everybody feel awkward isn't there. And that's magnetic. But I've had um, very introverted students get up and deliver deep stories and meaningful moments that develops kind of this vulnerability and rapport that also is magnetic and really holds the audience. So I think introverts and extroverts can both be really skilled public speakers. Mm -hmm. I think one difference is, um, like you said, preparation An introvert probably is going to rehearse and and be really prepared. And also afterward, I know after I gave my Ted talk, um, it's so weird because I was really excited to do my Ted talk. It'd been on my bucket list forever. I prepared for it. I I gave it. Afterward, I like I wanted to hide it was so weird I just i didn't want the continued spotlight I didn't want the continued recognition and they have this mix and mingle afterward where people come up and give you compliments and it was like other other people I had presented with were loving that and I did want to talk further about my topic I really did and I enjoyed those conversations a lot, but when people were like, "You did so well or it just made me so uncomfortable to continue to be in the spotlight and that's something I think I need to work on as an introvert. Because for example, the other day, someone that we go to school with posted um, those pictures of our chapters in the book. And I don't know why that kind of recognition made me be like, oh my gosh, I don't put the spotlight on me. But really I should just be like, thank you. You know, that's so nice that you noticed. And I do appreciate that you noticed. So I, there's something about being introverted that requires me to stand up and I guess accept accolades more graciously.
0: Yeah. And also, you all, I will post the link to Katie's TED Talk. It was oh, that funny. is nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> you can't escape it. And then when they all praise you, you can be uncomfortable. Okay.
1: <laughs> Just squirming silently under my desk. That sounds perfect. <laughs> well,
0: move on to nonverbal communication.
1: Okay. I think introverts can be skilled at nonverbals because they can read a lot of different behaviors and be observant, you know, kind of tell who's processing, who's observing, give them space to do so. Um there's a researcher named Canweiler and she says that that trait in introverts allows introverts to really connect genuinely with people. So I think maybe introverts are more skilled at reading nonverbals, but I think extroverts are more skilled at exuding nonverbals. I think big smiles, open arms, being warm, being gregarious, all communicate um, an, a certain level of affability that is magnetic and makes people a good communicator, whereas introverts can sometimes be in their head and that can come off as cold or snobby, which um, isn't as disarming or magnetic as the confidence and ease extroverts can exude with their nonverbals.
0: Impulsiveness is not horrible. all the No, shots.
1: no. It's very hard on your sleeve and uh, disarming.
0: Yeah. So I wouldn't really necessarily give the nonverbal nod to either side.
1: No, I'd say it's a tie again. I'd say so far all ties.
0: Yeah, I think so too, which is not what I necessarily expected to find. But I think the ne- next category I might give to the intro listening and responding, which um, Julia Wood also talks as, as being a very important part of communication. Um, and it's something that we spend a considerable amount of time doing, in fact, more so even than when we're talking um, or reading or writing. Um, and interestingly, it's something that we don't really spend a lot of time learning how to do effectively. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should. <laughs> that, I know, it.
1: actually, that's a tenet of invitational rhetoric. Because they talk about in our sort of patriarchal society, how we're taught to lead and present and persuade, but really not taught to listen and empathize. But that's just as important when it comes to being a good communicator.
0: Yeah. Katie, can you explain a little bit about what invitational rhetoric is since you brought it up and it's a good time to to mention that?
1: Sure. Invitational rhetoric is a theory, a communication theory um, by Griffin and Foss. Sonia Foss and Cindy Griffin. And basically the idea is that traditionally we think of rhetoric or speech and communication as sort of a means to an end where you focus on the audience, the messenger, and the effect on the audience. How effective was the message? And so it's all about persuasion and the art of persuasion and articulating yourself and winning over others to your side. And so Cindy Griffin and Sonia Foss said, you know what, there's there's another way to communicate and it's invitational rhetoric, which is not about winning people over to your side and it's not about persuading them that you're wrong and they're right. It's about listening. It's about inviting people to hear your point of view with no agenda and no goal other than increasing understanding and then also listening to other people's um, point of view with, again, no point in winning them over or argument. So it involves three things, which are seeing people as equal to you and other ideas as equal to you and worthy of listening to, granting um, people inherent worth, no matter what they decide about something, they're still worthy people. And the third tenant, I can't remember. I think it has to do with like social justice and the idea that um, all ideas have merit. Yeah, it
0: talks about how all of our experiences are valuable and important, and so it kind of cuts down this idea of saying, well, you're wrong, and you didn't really experience that, but rather saying you might experience things differently, and your experiences that have led to your understanding of this situation are still important, and they're still valuable, and we can walk away from this conversation with kind of mutual respect and saying- We see the world differently, but you are still an autonomous human being whose ideas are important. And that's
1: right. My favorite takeaway from invitational rhetoric is the idea of reframing or resourcing a conversation where you go from my side, your side to our side, you know, where you say, you see it like this and I see it like that, but we both came together to express ourselves or we both want, you know, what's best for education or whatever it is that you're discussing. So I love that theory. So anyways, that theory would have us really pay attention to listening and responding and empathizing as a core communication skill.
0: So I think this is one piece where I would say listening and responding is probably something that comes more easily for introverts. So far, we've kind of had, okay, different, you know, the introverts and extroverts each have different strengths in each of these areas. I would really give the nod to introverts as far as, Listening and responding because it's about mindfulness. It's not just about hearing what's being said, but it's also about kind of um, taking the time to process it and respond and um, hold on to that information in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a two thousand eight study by Stahl and Ramsayer, they talked about how introverts take a longer time to process information. Um, and you know, so we talked about earlier how that could be problematic. You know, if if you're in a crisis. Um, And in other situations, it's a really positive thing. But when it comes to listening, that's a really positive thing because they take extra time to understand ideas before kind of moving on to the next step. And so that kind of makes them stronger listeners.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think there are times too that introverted people need to be able to turn off their listening. I think that overwhelm when you're getting multiple messages from multiple places, it can be overwhelming and you can end up spinning in circles. So being able to focus on what you want to listen to or who you want to listen to is also an important skill for introverts to master.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I still think for this one, I, I want to give the nod to the introverts. I, I know some extroverts who are phenomenal listeners, so I don't want to take away from them. But just as far as who it comes easier for, and I, right. and I think we tend to think so and so is a good listener or not a good listener. But as we teach our comm students, or I know I certainly do, I assume you do. Listening is a skill you practice and you deliberately learn how to be good at. You know, over time, you um, you recognize that showing people that what they have to say is meaningful to you and being an important part of the conversation and not just listening with the intention to what am i going to say next but rather holding on to that information and processing it in a meaningful way for that person can build relationships and so yeah. those are skills you learn where we don't just wake up and have those but right. i would say i think i think introverts really get the nod in that this is just kind of a more natural skill for them because this is something that they do
1: yeah and and like you said though it is also something that can be learned i feel like we could do a whole podcast on how to be a more effective listener Maybe and therefore communicator. That. Perhaps put it in the queue. Okay. Okay. So the next one is creating and sustaining communication climates. So I think what that's talking about is uh, creating rapport and sort of having a warm and welcoming and open conversations and kind of encouraging environment or Um, a stilted or cold or stunted communication environment. And it's interesting because there was a study, it's actually very recent, 2019, um, out of the University of Minnesota. And if you wanna find it, it's in the Journal of Applied Psychology. And they did a meta-analysis of, um, I think it was 91 studies looking at introverted and extroverted characteristics in a work climate. And I identified 165 variables that affect your work performance, things like motivation and work-life balance and emotional well-being, um, and your work performance. That all kind of create work climate. And what they found is that extroverts have the advantage in ninety percent of the variables, which suggests that extroverts um, may be better at creating more positive workplaces and environments. Uh, four categories in particular were related to extroverts enjoying a, a, a distinct sorry, advantage and they were motivation, emotional, interpersonal and performance related. And earlier, Brooke, you mentioned that extroverts are more motivated by recognition and goals. rewards. And so if you link that to being more goal-oriented, then the more goal-oriented employee is likely to have higher performance. And that leads them to be more positive overall in their affect, which makes them more desirable coworkers and employees. So it could be that here extroverts get the nod and they're able to better contribute overall to a more positive communication climate in the workplace. Um, On the other hand, introverts are attuned to listening, like you just said, and perceiving people's underlying motivations, which can help build consensus and rapport. So introverts do bring a lot to the workplace, but the study did find that extroverts bring more to the workplace in terms of establishing positive communication climates. So...
0: I think it's interesting when we talk about this in like the workplace and climate, how the interview process really lends itself towards extroverts, because it's all about thinking on your feet and being able to come up with that creative thing right away and kind of portray yourself in in a good, positive light. I don't think that is quite as easy for introverts. And isn't it interesting that we, we choose our employees based on the system that really favors one set of strengths rather than the other when you really kind of need both.
1: You do, but I don't know. I've heard that once you're invited to interview someplace, you've pretty much passed the qualifications and they're just looking for someone they'd like to work with. And Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that they would pick somebody that they'd like to work with that can more positively contribute to a, you know, better work environment overall. So. I don't,
0: know. I don't know. It just seems so unfair to the, my introverted friends.
1: <laughs> I, maybe, but at the same time, just like extroverts can learn to listen, I think introverts can learn to be more outgoing and warm and friendly in a job interview.
0: So let's talk about, and this is sort of a similar aspect, but, but Julia would separates it out, talking about adapting communication to cultural context. Um, and I think what she's looking at here is this idea about how do we exist in community by, sh- by recognizing the importance of other people. Um, and part of what I love about communication is it comes from a Greek word that means to commune or community which I love. I love that whole concept of communication is really about how we interact. Um, and it's, you know, so the communication that takes place in our, in our world around us and in our relationships and, and even in our acquaintances impacts us and we impact through communication. So I love that. And, and that's, that's kind of what drew me to this field to begin with. Um, and so kind of when we look at how do you do that well, we're sort of talking about emotional IQ. Um, how we relate to people, how we interact with a diversity of ideas and opinions. And it's sort of this emotional maturity, you know, of being able to look at other perspectives and agree and disagree in a meaningful way. Right? Right. Is that kind of what you take from this? Yes. Yeah. And I think this is another one where I don't really see a clear introvert versus extrovert line on this one you might disagree you're allowed to do that but i think i could name 10 people i know who are introverted who do this really well 10 people i know who are extroverts who do this really well and then the same i can name 10 extroverts who are really awful at this and 10 introverts who are really awful at this so maybe that's just my experience um but what julia wood states is kind of the criteria is this being able to engage in person-centered communication and you know when we when i teach public speaking and i'm sure you do the same we talked about we talk about audience centered speaking and adapting to our unique audience. In other words, you're not going to talk about nutrition to um, people who go to the gym daily, as you would a group of kindergartners, right? Like you have to be aware of the perspectives and experiences of your audience. Um, and so, you know, e- sometimes it's even about that specific point in time, right? Like, so I had a friend a couple weeks ago who lost a grandparent. And, um, that wouldn't be the moment to text her and ask if I could borrow a pair of shoes for something, right? Like, so just being aware of people's experiences and when and how and, and when it's appropriate to say something. And even more, if you don't know, knowing how to navigate that. I think that's, that's kind of part of it. And, and um, just kind of sensitivity to cultures and experiences of other people. Is that, is that kind of what you take from it?
1: Yes. Um, I think that idea of person-centered messages actually comes from Jesse Delilah's theory which is about constructivism and it's the idea that as you grow up when you're a kid you learn about different people and different situations and you build these constructs that can help you navigate any other situation or other people and so you're able to read people and read situations and then tailor your message and your communication to those people or that situation and yeah I think that isn't really about introverted or extroverted as much as it is about your cognitive capacity so that's What you get from you know reading about people and knowing people and analyzing people, and that's kind of more of an intellectual piece, I think.
0: But I also think it's important. You know, we we talked about in last week's pod or two weeks ago's podcast. I guess we do this every other week. Right. Um, about this idea of not kind of losing yourself, and I think that's part of this navigating process of being able to both be person centered but not existing for other people, you know, not changing your message, but tailoring it. If that makes sense. Not that you, um, not a chameleon,
1: but yeah,
0: yes. And, And I think that's a, that's part of the process of kind of, figuring out which you are and and I can see areas where introverts could be really good at this because they're really good at stepping back and examining the surroundings and reading into people and analyzing you know what someone's feeling and and my my introverted friends are always really good at picking up on um kind of what lies beneath the surface you know that oh how are you today I'm fine they're the people who always go no you're not
1: right you know
0: right um but I think some of my extroverted friends in those situations where, you know, they might not pick up on the, okay, that fine wasn't genuine. They might be the ones who have the right words to say in that moment or who feel, um, who are the people who would show up and say, okay, well, let's talk about this, you know, and and I've had introverted friends do that as well, but I I think that tends to be more of an extroverted thing. Let's process this out loud, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So what do you um, think? I think that one is a toss up. I don't think that's an introvert or an extrovert. Overall, I feel like they came out even.
0: I think they did too. I, you know, I saw a couple places where something might be a little bit easier for one side than the other, but right. I feel like that my biggest takeaway from this is this kind of myth that extroverts are, are fantastic communicators across the board. I, I don't necessarily think I buy that. I think,
1: I think there's a little bit of both. I do too. I also think it's important to note what that University of Minnesota study author stated in his paper this year, which is no one is pure introvert or pure extrovert, or very few people are. So everyone can display a range and, you know, tailor their introvertedness or extrovertedness to the situation. Um, So there's that. And then also, I think there are more variables involved in being an effective communicator than your degree of extroversion or introversion. You know, there's your cognitive ability, your conscientiousness, your ability to regulate your negative emotions, your ability to empathize. You know, there are a lot, your confidence in yourself, your self-worth, like you just said, your self-awareness to some extent, all of those things factor in.
0: And so does your ability to work on your strengths and weaknesses. Absolutely. I think that's a big part of it in saying, maybe sitting back and listening is not a strength for me, but in choosing to love my friends and the people who are in my life, I have to learn to work on that and be mindful and and take those moments to focus in on what they're saying and um, you know to to hone those skills so that I can be better in, in my community.
1: Yes. I yeah. think rather- probably the most effective communicator. Is the one who's always working on getting better.
0: Yes, so much. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a fantastic note
1: to end this week's on. <laughs> Excellent. That's what our podcast is all about, Brooke. Yay. 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 Constant, <laughs> continuous improvement, getting better at communicating, both for ourselves and anyone who's listening. Great.
0: Well, we're thankful they are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you like what you heard on our podcast, please go rate us on iTunes podcast and let us know what you think. Give us feedback. We love your feedback. And
1: um, I guess until next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Brooke. That was fun. The opinions
0: expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or any other organization to which we belong.